0: Welcome to Being at Work. I'm your host, Andrea Butcher, and I'm so fired up for today's episode. I know I say that a lot, but today's guest shares my passion and enthusiasm for developing leaders. Michael Rady is a Human Resources Vice President at PepsiCo. And what you most need to know about Michael is his model and his mindset of leaders as coaches. That not only plays out in his work at PepsiCo, but also in his life, as you'll hear. My biggest takeaway? As a leader, the best way to serve my team is to adopt the attitude, I want to care more about your career than you do. Check it out.
1: My father is a Hall of Fame basketball coach in Indiana. And an Indiana High School, Hall of Fame basketball is an easy thing to get, right? Being inducted there. So It goes back to there, just as early as I can remember, Andrea, where there was always a lesson I was hearing, even though my dad wasn't talking to me about team concept, about coaching his players and student athletes. And then he didn't just coach them on basketball. He would coach them on life. And so I just have grown up from a very early age seeing that. Then as an athlete myself, I played collegiate tennis. I can remember getting great coaching. And I had people who really enjoyed coaching as a junior, but I, I didn't really come through a school where I had private lessons and some of the traditional path. And It wasn't until college where I got, I think, sort of elite level coaching. I got a lot of people who really wanted to help, who tried to coach in certain ways the best they knew how, so they always had positive intent. But the best coaching I got was when I was started to get into college. And I just remember people making a couple tweaks and all of a sudden I had a serve which is irrelevant maybe for anybody here, but the person gave me a couple tips and my serve went from probably on average being in the eighties to in the like 120s, low, you know, high high teens. That totally changed my game. And it changed the way I was able to play the game because that coach also looked at me and just mentally it was harder for me to construct points having to go through and, and set up a structure because I have always, I have battled ADD my whole life. And in that he helped design my style of play. That was really attuned to my mental makeup. If you, if for lack of a better term and that helped my game so much and it allowed me to play competition that I would have never been able to play or compete at a level that I would have never been able to compete at if I would have just stuck on the, on the regular path. And so throughout corporate America, throughout my life and, Growing up in this function, I've always felt like an elite level coach is someone who looks at these things and matches and matches their team's skill set and, and and actually assesses how high can this person go from like a level of capability of organizational stretch from can they be a VP, can they be an SVP, et etc. But also, how, how great can this person be at sales? How great can this person be in operations? And then they maximize that individual. And so th- I think those two things probably have set the tone and that when I try to influence leaders, it's an elite level leader is also a coach.
0: Okay, so there is so much in this couple minute introduction that you've given us. So I want, I want to go back. I mean, we're going to spend time really diving into that elite level coach because you bring up so many good points in that, that short description that you shared. But I want to go back to growing up with a father who's a Hall of Fame coach and a basketball coach in Indiana, which is known for its basketball. So this idea of leaders as coaches, I mean, it was demonstrated to you from the time you were born and your father's demonstrating that. And you say, because you say he coached his players, not only on the game, but also coached them on life. Talk a little bit more about that. What do you mean by that?
1: I can remember where not everybody has the perfect family growing up, right? And so sometimes your coach becomes a second father, second mother, second parent, whatever that coach sometimes becomes a, a, a surrogate for maybe what you, what you don't have. And there might be times where even in the, you know, your, your family structure, you may have someone that you can go to and you may not. And I, and I always watched how he would help kids who would come to him that couldn't go to their parents. And he would talk to them about school. He would also talk to them about just establishing standards of discipline and making sure that <laughs> this one he gave to me, but I remember him giving it to his, his team as well. But I remember like, maybe my room wouldn't be clean. And he would come in and he would go, Michael, you you can't have a room that's not clean and then go out and think you're going to play great tennis. And I would totally didn't even make the connection. Right? He's, like, he's like, but Michael, you can't turn discipline on and off because if you cheat in this area, you're going to cheat in another area. And sometimes, you know, it's not even that you know you're cheating, right? But he's just, he always would have... He always wanted to talk about having the highest standards. He would want to do that on and off the court, right? So he want people to go to class. He'd want to... And then I also just saw how hard he worked to make sure that kids had an opportunity to go to college, even when maybe things were against them. And whether it was societal pressures, whether it was things going on at school or whatever, he always found ways to help kids sort of get themselves in a better position to go to school and, and get an education and continue advancing.
0: What I hear in that is he, he really connected the dots between all aspects of their life. It's that, it reminds me of that saying, the way in which you do anything is the way in which you do everything. You ever heard that?
1: Absolutely. You just said it more eloquently than I did.
0: Well, that's why your room needed to be clean, because <laughs> that was going to show up in other aspects of your life, that, that discipline.
1: It was, it was. And you know, it's funny, like, it's one of those things that and this is, I think, true with any sort of coaching is that you have to be open to receive that coaching because at the time I didn't understand it and I really wasn't opening. So I didn't think I could make the lesson. But that's where what we're really trying to strive is get folks to understand is coaching isn't about discipline. Coaching isn't about you don't have to be an athlete or former athlete to understand or appreciate coaching. What you have to be able to be open to is being taught. And then once you're being taught, that allows you to have your coach give you what you need, allows you to build confidence, and then you're, you, you, it allows your coach to inspire you to do great things.
0: So the level of, open, the level of coachability is a really critical factor in that. It's mission critical. Okay, so that, so that was demonstrated to you from an early age. And then you talked about having experienced this elite level coaching as a tennis player. So you've gotten to be really good at tennis, and it sounds like this coach that you worked with was that in college, did you say, that you worked with that elite-level coach?
1: I would say as a tennis player, I probably got somewhat adequate. I was When I compare myself to really <laughs> good, I don't think I ever got really good. I, the the people to me who were really good had world rankings, and, and were, they were able to say they were world-class. But I think my point there, Andrea, is I got closer to that, and I got to play kids who had world rankings. And, and so I wasn't fortunate enough to put a game together to get there. But what it did allow me to do is play against – folks who have or train with players who did. And so if I wouldn't have listened to that coaching, if I wouldn't have gotten to that coaching, I would have never even had those opportunities to, to play at that level at that level.
0: That's what you mean by elite level coaching. It helped you get to that next level.
1: 100%. Yep. I got to levels I would not have achieved if I would have just went down the same path.
0: And when you were describing it earlier, it sounded like your coach really took the time to get to know you, your strengths, your weaknesses, your vulnerabilities, and then focus specifically on those things.
1: Yeah, it was really interesting because at first it started out was he was like, hey, can I give you a helpful hint on your serve? And I was like, sure. I mean, just like a small adjustment to my grip and then told me where to toss the ball and then my the ball went everywhere, like it was hitting off the frame. It was, it was terrible, but like he just kept. All he did was just kept. It's like repetition builds definition. He just kept saying, ah, "Don't like, don't worry about it." He's like, just keep doing this. And next thing you know, in like three or four balls, like balls, then it was like, boom. Okay, now I have it. Now I get the feel. And immediately I saw how like just the pace of the serve was. I mean, it's like one of those. It's you almost think like, wow, I have super strength. Like it's like it's like this opportunity. Like I had no idea I could do that. And so then when he watched me play, he asked me a lot of questions. Like he didn't just go, a lot of coaches at that time would say, oh, you have to play a game in a certain way, hit the ball high and deep and just be consistent. That just wasn't my makeup. But he took the time to say, so Michael, what's going on in your head? Because he goes, I noticed that like you have a tendency to break down at this point in any sort of time of a match or you know quite honestly specifically within a point of tennis he would say you have a tendency to break down here what's going on in your mind he didn't say you need to be more consistent and try to force me on this path to be more consistent he said what's going on because then he took that to say okay now i need to change the way you approach this game because that way you can maximize your your abilities and and totally then i became a serving volleyer and if you know, you know, in tennis, like you want, I went from trying to be a baseliner to a certain t- volleyer and the points just got done so much quicker. And that fit me really well.
0: Wow. And it also sounds like it was, it was these little tweaks that he made.
1: Small tweaks, nothing major. And and I had, I had another coach one time that just gave me a little tidbit on doubles and it totally took my doubles game off. And so I just, I think both of those individuals gave me the tools to be successful that As I've looked at that, Andrea, throughout life, I've always sort of felt like how many people in each organization just need those little tweaks, that just need those little help? And whether it's our frontline employees or whether it's an executive, those tweaks can be massive. And, and especially it's it, I think it's especially true in early talent because I, I had a person named Scott Greenhouse who worked I worked for when I was at Ingersoll Rand, and I was 25 years old. I remember him sort of shifting my mentality. I've always wanted to understand the business and felt like, hey, if you learn the business, things will follow and then you will drive our function in the right way and add impact. I remember when he told me the tools he used and the things and the steps he took to really add impact. And then he became, a, I think, one of the... he was His ability to assess talent was massive. And I remember him allowing me in on meetings with... VPs and SVPs where people were assessing talent, highest level stretch, um, where people would top out in the organization and not top out as in like, Hey, they've topped out and they leave, but it's like, Hey, this person can take on this because we're looking at sort of intellectual capacity and we're looking at like curiosity and how they can, uh, you know, handle complex situations and decision-making and so they would talk through things like that. So at 26 years old, I'm learning that. And, you know, I just think about if you don't have access to those kinds of things, my career would have been different if I would have grown up in a different way and never had access or exposure to that. And so he was just a fantastic coach for me to sort of set me along the path on how to try to lead this function.
0: Such a great example. Well, and and you were paying attention and you were open, no doubt, to receiving that, to having that example in your life.
1: And I think it did help that I had coaching and understood coaching, but it was always one that I've always also been one too, where I used to, it was kind of nerdy, but I used to keep this spreadsheet and I would say, how many careers have you made today? Because I knew that just in our function, you're in a lot of rooms, a lot of conversations, Andrea, and and how often are, can you say, hey, I saw something really great from so-and-so. And if you take that opportunity, because there's also, we're also in the room a lot of times when, when someone's career could go the other way, right? And so I, I just sort of felt like as, I'm, as we're talking talent, And not making things up, but how often can you get people exposure and that when they don't even know you're getting exposure? So I used to keep the spreadsheet and say at the end of the week I would look at how many careers I thought I had helped make along the way, and then if I hadn't made enough, then I would like look how to double down on the next week and keep it. Now I don't necessarily need to do the spreadsheet because it's just natural. For the first year, half of my career, that meant a lot to me to try to help move things along.
0: Well, what, what a great way to track that. I mean, to just have visibility to the impact that you're having. I and mean, that's got to be a motivator too to and an incentive to keep going because that feels good to see that.
1: It was a lot of fun because then you could go back in whatever it was, like a three months or whatever, and say, well, have I made their career again? How, how many times have I done that since this or whatever, right? You just track and, and help. And it was cool because, but then what it also did was, Andrea, it allowed me to help be their coach. Right. So I might have made a comment to someone and they were like, yeah, that's great, but they still need to do X, Y or Z. Well, then I found a way to go back and help those individuals even more because then I'm having the coaching conversation with them in a way that's sort of safe because it's not their their leader or their boss having the conversation. But it's me coming in there as a friend going, hey, had some great conversations around you about X, Y and Z. Really? okay?" Then they're super excited. Now they're all in. And then I get to switch to build that relationship. So maybe the next time I'm talking to them, hey, let's talk about this. How are you looking about this? And, and they're open, right? Then they became open to listening to how I would want to help them close gaps.
0: That's one of the things I love just in the definition of a coach, you know, really someone who's focusing on on my performance improvement really wants me to be better so in that there's a, there's naturally more of an openness. I had a, a, a Facebook exchange with my old high school volleyball coach a few weeks ago, and we were just going back and forth. And I very quickly fell in that mode of like, I wanted her advice. I wanted her counsel, you know, cause she, she was so wise to me in those formative years, you know, not just on the volleyball court, but in, in my life as a teenage girl at that time. So I totally get that openness to someone that you respect.
1: And what's awesome about that too, is right, you really went to them for the coaching, right? And I've noticed over several years is that one of the things, because people ask me sometimes too about mentoring programs and, and, and I'm, I've always sort of, and this is, if anyone's in a mentoring program, I, I don't, I'm not going to necessarily knock them, but a lot of formal mentoring programs don't end up panning out and there's research behind that. And so I've always challenged people and I've always just said, hey, make your boss your coach. And I've never I've never had a boss tell me, oh, I can't share that with you because it's above your level or whatever. But because but, I always thought like even as a junior HR person, I wanted to understand how a VP of HR thought or how a CHRO thought. So that would help formulate my opinion because I think even as you're growing, part of your decision has to be in the immediacy of now and where you're at. But also there has to be a component that says, okay, would a VP of HR see this the same way? And if you say the VP of R, a lot, like a lot of times a VP of HR may look at it differently than what you would when you're in your moment. And they may be have more empathy. And so it would challenge you to think differently, say, well, and that's to me, it was always another path of saying, in that path, it's like, Hey, do I have this right? Am I am I considering everything I need to before I make a final decision? And then I would go a lot of times I would just go to those folks and I again I wanted to learn the business Andrew when I first came up in the worst way. So a lot of my coaches and I again they weren't really mentors, I would go to a VP or SVP of sales that I was supporting and I would literally talk to them as if like I would ask them questions as if like I was trying to learn an offense or I was trying to learn how to play a game or a sport or whatever. And they were always so welcoming and, and helpful. And so I just think if, if you mentioned something, I think just as really critical is being open to learning and wanting the coaching. And if you want the coaching, you're going to get it because you'll find ways to get it.
0: Yeah. Well, and I love your idea of making your boss, your coach, and even using that language, like saying to your boss, Hey, give me some coaching on this. Because doesn't that say to him or her, I am open. It gives, it gives your boss permission.
1: hundred percent. And to think about the differences, if you as an employer or whatever, um, as an associate, if you go to your boss and let's just say I'm working for you and I say, Andrea, I need coach. I need you as a coach right now, as I think through this decision, as opposed to my boss. That actually gives you the ability to step outside and you can almost take two angles. You can say, Well, hey, here's how I look at it as a coach. Here's how I'm going to look at it as your boss. And maybe they'll be the same. I'm hoping they'll typically be the same, right? But they could be a little bit different. But what it does is, and a lot of times too, and I always struggle with, I'm sure you have this too. You'll have folks that they may be struggling with a certain manager and you go back and they're going to their friends and their peers. And when they go to their friends and their peers, who see it the same way they'll say oh i can't believe your boss micromanaged you like that as opposed to having the friend that like you were looking for that coaches and goes hey how do you think that would have been different if you do you think there's a way you could have got out of that situation or managed it differently and then that would make people think and now you go into the coach piece so now if i go to my boss and i go hey i want to know how you're thinking about this because i need you as a coach it just draws them in to want to help you it's been magical for me in my whole career. And you think about certain things that have been that impactful. This leader as a coach piece has probably had the most profound influence on my career just because I've, I really treated my leaders as my coach all along the way. I can remember the first time I left, like the person I was talking about earlier, I can remember leaving him a voicemail. He was on vacation and he's like, uh, just leave me a voicemail and tell, let me know what you're gonna do because i was gonna go to a different job within the same organization but i was i was leaving him i was in tears i was bawling i was like i've always thought of you as more of a coach than a manager and <laughs> it was like it's a crazy and he used to, he used to give me a hard time about it all the time but it was like that moment was one of those ones where it was like i was caught up in the motion because like if you leave a coach it means something because there's just such a much more profound influence on in your life
0: Well, and those relationships don't end, right? Those, I mean, that's why I'm still connected with my volleyball coach from high school of the impact because of that impact. And the other thing in listening to you, Michael, is just reminding me how we teach people how to treat us. And so through demonstrating that coachability and that openness, we help to establish the kind of relationship that's going to be most valuable with the leaders we work with.
1: Yeah. And and most leaders have enough sophistication, right? Most leaders have enough sophistication to say, okay, they're coming to me and they want me to be their coach on this one. I'll give them that. And then even when you get there, right? And you sort of open that window to say, I need you as a coach. You also get to say, Hey, here's where I think you should be when you're asking that question. I'm not sure if you're progressing like far enough, or I would have expected you to ask the question in this fashion or that fashion as opposed to you, the way you did because i don't think you're considering all the points right so even with that you allow your your leader to coach you in so many different ways that's not just about that one instant but it's also like what else is you know connected to that
0: well that goes back to your room's got to be clean doesn't it i mean it's all it's all connected we improve one area of our life it's going to transfer into all the others yeah that's really good so we have talked a lot about the coaching participant or the employee's perspective on like how to use their leader as a coach, which is so valuable. I want to switch now and talk a little bit more about the, what are those key competencies, attributes for the coach. You know, you you talked earlier about matching skill set and really thinking about where the organization's going and potential and but break that down for us. What do you think? Like as a leader, if I want to be a better coach, what are some of the specific things I need to focus on?
1: It's interesting. And one of the things that I think and I'll I'll start off not to necessarily be negative, but the one of the things I think we have to guard against most is sometimes if we've reached our plateau in a career, we tend to coach at that level as opposed to coaching up.
0: Oh, that's a great point.
1: And so what I want to make sure that when you're coaching is, you may say, hey, I'm ta- I want to be um, an HR manager. I want to be um, a general manager of a business and I'm fine being where I'm at. And there's nothing wrong with that. People make different trade-offs for career and lifestyle and all those stuff. And they have tremendous amount of respect for people for each decision that they make in those spaces. But if you make that decision that, hey, I'm good where I'm at, you can't start coaching people to be good where you're at because they may have higher aspirations. And if you're not working to be a better coach at all times, then I think that's one of the worst things we can do as far as, as, as getting the potential, because then we're not looking at the potential of our, our, our team member and then figuring out how to help them get to where they can go. We have a podcast that we're doing called Pepsi coaches corner. And it's really about bringing leadership, the elite level leader, saying that that individual is also a coach. So it's like bringing the coach as a leader concept to life. And there's a beautiful piece where the head coach at Norfolk State University, Robert Jones, said, If you're a pro, it's my job to get the pro out of you. If you're a 14 point a game score, it's my job to get the 14 points out of you. If you're a four point a game score. And what he's saying is he's assessing each individual person, and it's my job to get best out of you that I can. And so I think if leaders and coaches have that sort of approach and tone, Andrea, then even if I've sort of plateaued in my career, and maybe that's by design, or maybe that's just because of my competence or so whatever it is, if I stop thinking about how to get better or get bigger, I'm not going to teach the folks that are working for me that perspective.
0: So it's it's about the potential within them. It's bringing that out.
1: It is. There's, there's times where, I mean, in the past, I've called a recruiter and saying, Hey, what are CHROs looking for? And what are CEOs looking for in their CHROs, et cetera, et cetera. And the reason why is because, you know, in our organization, like a lot of organizations, we recruit kids out of the best schools and kids coming out of the best schools. They may say, I want to be a CHRO. Well, if they come to me and, and they say, I want to be a CHRO. And if my first thing I say, Andrea is, well, hey, concentrate on what you're doing right now Um, And get really good and the other stuff will come. I have just clipped their wings. I've clipped their ambition because I've almost told them don't have ambition. Right. So to me, if they say that, then I say, well, then here's what we need to do. Here's what CEOs are looking for. Here's what that. So you need to start building your career to have these things involved. Now that to me is where i think a lot of if leaders can get themselves into a selfless space to try to learn more about how to be a better manager or leader around those aspects because we still have people who are saying well i don't know about that job well that's a problem right like how good of a coach can you be so the answer to that should be hey i really don't know about that but i think you should talk to so and so cuz they do
0: well so are you all assessing someone's ability to coach
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. We're really trying to drive the leaders of coach concepts like all the way deep into the organization right now and down to our frontline supervisors. We're wanting those individuals to act as coaches.
0: Yeah. Cause I think about, you know, that coaching based on potential, not like where you are. I think about the, you know, the, the senior leader who's tired and not very engaged. And I worry about his or her ability to coach up.
1: That's exactly right. And I think that's one of, again, that's what I was talking about earlier is that that to me is, is scary. And that's, that's when you start clipping wings. That's when people stop realizing what they can achieve because they, they have someone that's not working hard to figure out how to get their people in their potential. But if you, but if you started with it was really more of a selfless perspective and you, and you looked at the individual, you would say, you know, it's really two things. What's their potential as how high can they go in an organization? but some people aren't going to want to have this massive, big career or whatever you want to call it. Some people may be like, I just want to be the best salesperson. I can be, I may just want to be the best production employee on this line. Okay. Well, if that's the case as a supervisor, as a manager, how do you help them achieve that? And if someone says, I just want to be a really good production employee, and that meets the standards, then how do you get really good out of them? How do you help them get to where they want to be or where they can be?
0: So that's, that's the job, right? Getting out of them, like their potential, what, what it is they aspire to or they want.
1: Right. I think it's less, about, it's less about what you want and what you should want is what's the best for that individual. And then you frame it up that way and then you allow them to be and achieve what they can.
0: Have you seen the book, Humanocracy? I have not. Yeah, you'll love it. It's really challenging, like the bureaucracy and traditional organizations where it's all about like the individual fitting into the organization and, and more like humanocracy is starting first with the individual and then building his or her role and his or her future trajectory all around what that person wants and desires and has the skill set to be in um, humanocracy versus bureaucracy. It makes sense. It's exactly what you're describing. I'm going to get it. Yeah, you'll like it. You like it. It's good. A lot of research. So what's the best for that individual? So that's, I mean, just keeps going back to that selfless place. So the the leader who's threatened by this high performing, high energy person. I mean, that's, I think that's another one that I've seen a lot in my career. Um, One of my first jobs right out of graduate school, I had a leader who, that was very much what I got from her. Like you do this, this is what you do. And um, about 18 months into that role, she was actually replaced by a very progressive leader that I attribute so much of my career trajectory to because he saw the potential in me. I had all this desire and enthusiasm but lacked the experience, and he put me in opportunities to really grow and get the experience I needed.
1: Night and day, and and it's, and it's night and day, and it's night and day how you probably felt about the organization. Because in the first situation, you probably thought about is this organization for me? Do I want to be here and next to? Okay, this is a place I can grow and, and and lead in a bigger way.
0: Yeah. So isn't that interesting? I mean, it really is the the leader's impact. So, so the responsibility that we hold as leaders, because we're forming and shaping experiences.
1: Absolutely. And and you know that's where again the leaders of coach concept to me is incredibly valuable because when you spot folks who don't want to lead in that way, you have, you can have the right conversations because I've always sort of thought to myself, you know, you'll have people that may hit their numbers, but I've always asked, are they hitting their numbers in the right way? Because if they hit their numbers the wrong way and you give them a bigger organization, the challenges that come with that and the destruction that happens after that, like from a people, wake what you have with your people just grows. And that's a very risky, I think, situation to be in.
0: So what else when we think about as a leader, how to be a better coach? So definitely a lot of it goes back to like coming from a selfless place, really focusing on the individual, his or her potential. How do I help them achieve? What else? Is there, is there another core competency or attribute that comes to mind for you?
1: We have a saying that we use that's called "know the business cold. And I think if you know the business cold, that helps, but knowing the business cold isn't just, again, knowing your numbers. A, a lot of organizations will have a leadership model. How good are you with understanding your leadership model and how it impacts each person at sort of each level in the organization? I always sort of like to segment out talent in a way of, or levels in an organization. I always like to think about early career, mid-career, and executive talent. And that talent segmentation to me is, is important because someone might say, well, hang on, 20 years of my career, but I'm in the early talent. I'm just I look at early as like earlier on the career call it ladder of levels in an organization. So I call it early career, mid-career and executive. I know there's probably other people, the same thing, but that segmentation piece is important because it allows you to coach at each level. And if, if you think about it, there's the book and that says what got you here won't get you there. So it's important to me if you're coaching someone in that early talent segment, you have to have experiences for people and you have to if you've identified that they can matriculate to mid career and executive you have to sort of nuance your approach and and, and give them whether it's a fly on the wall experience or you give them extra attention you have to focus on getting them the experiences that will help them matriculate from each sort of segment of that talent map and and in that right you you have to sort of flex your style and adjust to say okay well you know at this level this person needs x and at And let's just say, I'll just talk in, like, simple, percentage, Andrew, like, when I'm earlier in the organization, I may have to think, like, a VP 5% of the time. As I get into mid-career, maybe that gets to 10%. As I get into an executive, how much more, right? Like, you have different levels of executive before you get there. And so as you continue to keep going, you have to, I think, start building skill sets of having people think bigger than the role that they're at very early on. Because if you start something at 26 or 20, whatever... By the time you're 30, you're going to have mastery. And by the time you're 40, you'll have, I don't know if it's Zen like, right? But it's like, you're going to move to where it just becomes automatic. And then as you enter those different roles and you enter the the different levels, you're able to adjust accordingly. And it's not these huge learning opportunities that you get into a role and it's like, oh, wow, I just like, I went from highly executional role and now I have to be strategic and I don't know how to get there.
0: Yeah. So it is. So what I, my big takeaway there is it's, it's very, it's this very individualized mindset for each person and what he or she needs. And then it goes back to, and then you just reinforced again the small tweaks. It might be a small tweak.
1: Yeah. And, and again, and not to just harp on the, I don't know, the selflessness piece, but I think it's also knowing your situation really well. Andrea, are you familiar with the Jacksonville, the University of Jacksonville, There women's lacrosse team Mm -mm. there was i think on the athletic there was a a piece on them but it's an amazing story and we had those folks talk to our our executives and if anybody ever wants them to talk to their executives they're a fantastic (laughs) team it's a husband and wife tandem that's the head coach and the assistant head coach and what they did was they were coaching at the university of jacksonville and in that arena how do you get lacrosse players to come to jacksonville And they couldn't really recruit the people that would help them along the way to being elite. But yet they wanted to have elite performance and they wanted to get, you know, compete for championships. So instead of just saying, well, this is how you play lacrosse and we're going to try to fit this and make this work. They didn't, they totally changed the way lacrosse was played and they used data and analytics. And then they went back And they looked at the Loyola Marymount team from the basketball team from the early 80s and and used that as sort of like this platform. They brought players back from that program and took it to lacrosse. So they changed the style of lacrosse and how it was played because they said in Florida, we do have really good athletes and I can recruit speed. And so I can build the game here. It wasn't that the coach said, oh, well, here's my philosophy on how to win. And we have to do this and we have to run it this way. They looked at their situation, pivoted and flexed their style and made the adjustments accordingly so that now they took something from basically, I don't want to say nothing, right? But they took something that wasn't a thing, that wasn't a nationally ranked program to something that's perennially ranked very high in the country. And that to me talks about if a coach can be flexible in their style and they look at their situation, there's just not one way to get something done. And again, I don't know that that's necessarily, that's probably branching and moving on from being selfless to saying, okay, what's it going to take to win? What's my situation? And then I'll maximize my situation.
0: But you have to have the humility to look in the mirror and say, okay, what needs to be changed here?
1: Humility is so important.
0: Yeah, we could have a whole episode just on that. Let's do a part two on humility.
1: (laughs) We could, we could, absolutely.
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh, there's so many, so many good takeaways so many good takeaways. Michael, thank you so much for all of this. I'm as I'm just looking back at my notes and reflecting on our conversation, I'm reminded as a leader to always be always be asking for coaching from the leaders in my life and to have that open growth mindset. I mean that that encourages coaching that says to others I'm open for feedback and I want your help. I mean, that's how I'm going to grow. So it starts with that, that mindset. And then as, as a leader myself, you know, really thinking about my people, I care about them. I love them. And so starting with the, from a very selfless place that puts me in a posture and a position to focus on their potential and their desires and their passions and then helping them get there very individualized way, because I, I like your point about if you're a pro, it's my job to get the pro out of you. If you're whatever, it's my job to help you be the best that you can be at that. That's that's a really great mindset.
1: Thank you. I, look, I've always said, and I say this to my people and, and the folks that work in my organization probably say, I think I sound like a broken record, but I've always said, I want to care more about your career than you do. And I can't ever oh, want it more, but I want to care more about it. And if I care more about it, then I'm going to push, poke, and prod and challenge you to think about things in ways you haven't, right? If I care more about your career, it's going to force me to think about how can I help this person maximize what they want? And and sometimes that might be helping them understand that what organization is the right organization for them long-term or what kind of role is the right role for them long-term or multiple roles. And then you can never, though, as a coach, because you never want your coach to be like disappointed, right? Because that's a very, very challenging um, sort of space for both parties to be in. So that's why I've always said, I always want to care more about your career than you do, but I can't want it more because if I want it more, then that's when you sort of get into that danger danger zone. And it's hard to coach someone when you're disappointed.
0: It's hard to coach someone when you're disappointed. I love that. I want to care more about your career than you do. Because think about the behaviors that that naturally are going to flow. From that attitude, you're naturally going to be selfless. You're naturally going to focus on their potential and their desires and passions. That's really great. Thank you. Thank you. This has been so energizing. So many practical takeaways. So, if our listeners want to connect with you, Michael, what is the best way to do that?
1: Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, that's a great way. I, I'm, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Would love to have anyone reach out and connect on LinkedIn. That, that's. Um, I think it's a fantastic platform and it's a good way to meet people. And so I, I'm more than open for that. I think if I look, if I think about it, right, I, that's how you and I connected was on LinkedIn.
0: It is, so that's right.
1: It's a powerful tool. And then, you know, and, and I think the, the podcast is if someone wants to hear some of the concepts of leaders, a coach, it's called Pepsi Coaches Corner with Michael Rady, and it's going to be on the iHeartRadio platform. So anybody will be able to get it. And we were making it for our leaders and we wanted to ex- make it accessible for, you know, our supervisors all the way to executives. But there's a lot of great coaches that are involved. And we have like Hall of Fame coaches involved. We have fantastic players that are now coaches. And that's actually been somewhat of a lifelong journey of, of this coach as a leader concept. But it's it's been an absolute joy. And I have to thank my president, Derek Lewis, for having a vision of pushing me. And you talk about coaching. He's the one that said Michael Leader as a coach concept. How do you bring that to life? And I said, hey, let's have people talk to our executives. And he's like, how would you make it better? Right. And he just kept challenging me to think about different ways. And so we're launching the podcast um, the first Tuesday of every month. And then we're now even, Andrew, taking it to the community. And so we're we're taking coaches from our partnerships because this whole thing is about us partnering with our customers. So like Tampa Bay Lightning, the Miami Marlins, Memphis Grizzlies, Indiana Fever. Those are customers of ours that we are partnering with to to deliver content to people around coaching and leadership. And now we're gonna take that to the communities, which has been fantastic.
0: That is fantastic. Well, congratulations on all all of that. No wonder you're so fired up and energized.
1: I am, I am. And I get to do this one.
0: Yeah. Michael, thank you so much.
1: Uh, Thank you. Andrew. you take care.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to never miss a being at work story.